It was a great privilege, not just to be here, but to come together around God's Word. And uh, so if you have your Bibles, I'd like to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I actually have a different version, but I think your Pew Bible is the uh, international version. So I'll read from that. First Corinthians chapter 9, and I'm going to read from verse 12, or the second part of verse 12 to verse 23. It says this, this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. But we did not use this right. He's been explaining about all the rights he has in as, a, as an apostle. He says, we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rights. And I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I'd rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Let's just pray a minute as we come to God's word. Father, we thank you for the privilege that we have in this country to be able to meet freely as your people. Lord, we remember many of our brothers and sisters around the world today who do not have this privilege. Either they meet in fear of the authorities who would imprison them just for confessing your name, or many that are isolated and do not have a body of believers nearby. We pray that you would be present with them as we ask that you would be very present with us now. Lord, we recognize this day, although it's great to be together, it's great to see one another and to chat and to encourage one another. Lord, what we most need in our lives is to hear your voice. So we humbly ask, Lord, that you would speak this morning and that you would anoint our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to his church. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you looked around, particularly the Western world, uh, many differences culturally, uh, even between North and South of Ireland, my parents are from, my father's from Scotland, and uh, they're a weird bunch over there. And you go further afield, it just gets more and more different. Uh, there's a wonder of, of culture and, and the variety uh, in the different nations and, and peoples of the world. But one of the things, or two things that really 
kind of mark or you sort of hear the drum being beat right around the Western world. One is our boast about our freedoms and we will make war to defend freedom. The other is our rights. Everybody nowadays talks about their rights and uh, that's sort of a mark of our cultures. Whether that's good or bad, we'll, we'll come back to that. But as I was uh, thinking about this during the week and reading a little bit about ancient Corinth, I thought it's not actually such a modern phenomenon. Corinth was a city, it was a Roman city. It had been a, a very famous Greek city and then was destroyed by the Romans as they first sort of spread across uh, the Mediterranean world. They destroyed Corinth uh, in 145 BC, but 100 years later, they was rebuilt under Julius Caesar and inhabited mainly by military veterans and freed men. Freed men were people who in the Roman uh, Empire had been slaves and had gained their freedom. Either they had worked for it and, and bought it or been given it by their owners or somehow. So you can imagine that it was a city dominated by people who said, you know, we fought for freedom. We fought for our rights. And very much all of that entails. It was a port city, um, very affluent place. Actually, it was in between two ports. I didn't bring a map because I don't want to give either a history or geography lesson today. But it was in between two ports and so had grown up and become very prosperous as trade trafficked between the two ports to save ships having to go all around the dangerous waters of southern Greece. And uh, so you can imagine that the affluence and the mindset of freedom in a port city, as port cities often seem to attract also that more unsavory element of prosperity. Leon Morris said of Corinth, but I believe he could equally say it of the Western world today. It was intellectually alert, materially prosperous, morally corrupt. And very much as we look out on our world for all its boasts and for all its progress and for all its apparent freedoms, we see a society that yes, is intellectually alert. We have education on a level we've never known before in the human history. Material prosperity, never known before in human history, but sadly morally corrupt as we have tragically known throughout human history. You see, freedom unchecked can quickly become anarchy or basic licentiousness where anything goes. And rights unchecked, or everybody affirming their rights, can very quickly become an imposition on others. And if you don't believe me, look at the mess that is happening in Scotland at the minute as we try to promote the rights of certain, sometimes small groups, enforced on the whole population. How does a Christian live differently in that sort of context? Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. It was a church he knew well. He had spent 18 months previously on one of his missionary journeys in Corinth. He knew the people. He knew the issues. This was not a kind of mindless document, but really is a very personal document. And if you read through the whole letter, you sense Paul's heart for the people, that even when he has to tell them off and things are doing not, not, not well, and some commentators always see Corinth as the most sort of sort of problematic church that we see in Scripture. And yet Paul has such a heart for these people. He says he loves them deeply and really desires to see them uh, live well. 
in the chapters prior to the, what we, the verses we read in chapter 9, Paul has been dealing with some of the issues, some that they had written to him about, issues they were struggling with, how to navigate these waters of, of morality and, and issues on marriage and issues of idolatry, ancient issues, but so relevant to our day and age as we seek as Christians to navigate in this world that just seems to kind of always be seeking to mold us into its image. But in, when we come to chapter 9, um, don't be distracted by Paul talking about apostle and his apostleship, but rather what we see is Paul giving an example from his life. As an apostle, yes, and he explains earlier in chapter 4 what that ministry entails, but he's not really promoting himself. He's not saying, look, you know, I'm the, I'm the great apostle Paul. You've got to listen to me. He's not saying that. Rather, he's given a personal example from his life to help them live dynamically in the age that it's for them to live. And I believe he can help us today, uh, even as we face similar challenges, although they may have a slightly different outworking in each context. Now, th there's so much here, and I'm not going to give an exhaustive exposition, but I'd like to just mention a couple of things that I think, uh, as, we, as we take them away and meditate on them and work it, see them working out in our lives, will help us answer the question, how do we live in our day and age? The verses I read were almost bracketed as Paul talking to the Corinthians. And yes, there's a different dynamics. When he first started, he says, I have not made use of this right. He's talking about earlier on in the passage, he was talking about his rights as an apostle, um, what he could have done, how he could have lived. And he wasn't saying, you know, look at me, but rather he's saying, I want to give you an example of what it means to give up things for the gospel. Back in chapter 8, and uh, for some reason I haven't got it noted down here, so I think, it, I think it's verse 10. He says, if anyone sees you have knowledge eating, um, sorry, not verse 9, he says, take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So he's talking in the context of food sacrificed to idols, probably not a major current problem in Ireland. I don't think you go to your local, I don't know what you have down here, is it you have Tesco's or your local butchers and kind of, you know, are you sacrificing this to, you know, some pagan deity before you brought it into the shop? Um, but what Paul is is saying to the people, he says, yes, idolatry is a reality in our society, in Ireland today. And we need to be aware of that. But we need to be aware also that we don't become a people influenced by our society, whereby our rights become paramount for all our activities. Rather, Paul is encouraging the Christians. He says, don't abuse your right. Don't take your right and make it ultimate. Be willing to put it aside for the good of others. So Paul, as an apostle, is now giving this example to the people, and he's saying, I've been willing to give up all of these rights. I could, I could go on all day about my rights, but I don't want to do that. And he says, I have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel. And right at the end of the verses I read, in verse 23, he kind of sums it up. He says, I do all for the sake of the gospel. How should Christians live in the 21st century? For the sake of the gospel. 
That's the stamp that should be on our lives. That's the mark that should kind of determine our decisions, um, and that should be the priority. Now, that in itself, is, is, it's a great slogan. It's a huge topic. And uh, if you're like me, you look at, hey, well, what does that mean practically in my life? It's not a case of we come here each Sunday and then leave thinking, well, just, just try and do a little bit better this next week, or just work harder, or do something more, or, or give a bit more to the church, or, or whatever. But rather, we want to see ourselves transformed by the gospel so that we can live for the gospel of Christ and have that determine everything in our lives. So I'd like to leave with you just a couple of words that come out of this passage and Paul's talking as, as, um, uh, as an apostle, but which I believe help us in our outworking of what does that mean to live for the gospel of Christ. Paul had previously, back in chapter 4, he had talked about the ministry of an apostle, and I believe it speaks to the ministry of the church, not just the individual as an apostle, but the apostolic ministry of the church. And he says this, this is how one should regard us, he's talking about the apostles, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Servanthood and stewardship. Let me look at those in reverse order because in this passage which we read in verse in chapter 9, Paul picks up those themes again. He says, this is how I am seeking to live. First of all, as a steward, verse 17, I think in the NIV it says, I've been given a trust. In, in uh, the version that I have, which is the ESV, it says in verse 17, I do this, if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. He's talking about, if, you know, if, if this is about me, this is my decision. This is what I'm doing. Then maybe I should have a reward. He says, but if not of my own will, I'm still entrusted with a stewardship. What will help us live according to the gospel is this concept of stewardship, which is actually, I believe, a very biblical concept but flies totally in the face of what our modern culture emphasizes. Our materialistic world, more and more today, emphasizes ownership. It's mine. Yeah? One of the first words kids learn when they're about two. Nobody teaches. It's mine. Yeah? And woe betide anybody who tries and takes it away from it. Now, I heard a, a, a um, it was a Dominican preacher, um, from from the Dominican Republic, or was it, and it doesn't matter where he was from, it's irrelevant. But he said, he "said you give a two-year-old the body and strength of a thirty-year-old, and they'd all be psychopathic killers." And he was talking about the inherent human nature. Now we may learn to grow out a little bit of the tantrums, but sadly, our culture doesn't help us grow out of the attitude of it's. And you see, as long as we live our lives seeing that everything is mine by right, I've earned it. I'm a self-made man. When our talks, you know, you know, I've got this great job because I worked hard, because I studied hard, because I did this, because I did that. And the question to the Christian is, where's God in that picture? 
But as a Christians, we've got to live with a mindset of stewardship that actually, yes, it's good that you study hard, given the opportunity, but who gave you the intellect? Who caused you to be born in a country that you even have those opportunities where you have access? Who provides your employment? And you see, when we see God behind absolutely everything we are and everything we have, it changes our mindset because suddenly I have no claim to my rights. If I hold everything in stewardship, then it's all about what he has given us and what we should do with it. And again, we see this theme through the letter of the Corinthians. Paul, again, back in chapter 4, verse 7, has written to them this. For who sees anything different? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Isn't that such a picture of our society today? But Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? Again, in chapter 6, when he's talking to them, in verse 19, he says this. He says, you are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. A different focus. But he's saying, even your own body is not your own. Your life to live is not your own. Every breath that you breathe each morning is not your own. And Paul will go on after this section, famous chapters in 12 and 14 about the gifts and everything from God. How do we live in a way that honors the gospel as Paul sought to? It is first of all, developing a mindset of stewardship. Now each of us will need to take this away. We need to think about how, how does that filter down? How does that apply to me? But it must transform my thinking and my use, my time, my possessions, my education, my creativity, my opportunities, absolutely everything. That will be different for each one of us. Why? Because God has given each one of us different abilities. Um, probably shouldn't, they always say as preachers, you shouldn't use the examples, your own daughters, but... I will. My, my daughter, Rebecca, is incredibly creative. My wife is very creative in terms of artistic ability. Drives me mad. Because if you ever lived with an artist, they, they kind of like sort of live in a different wavelength. And yet they can take sometimes, like my wife, often she volunteers in a charity shop and will regularly come home with what I consider junk um, and make something beautiful from it. Um, well, use that for God's glory. Churches maybe have not been very good at allowing artists to use their creativity, but the creativity is a gift from God. For me, I'm a little bit more staid, and I like books, and I like to study, and I like writing. Um, if I try and be an artist, it's a, it'll be an absolute disaster. But that's not what I've been given. I need to use what I've been given for God's purposes. So the mindset developing and taking hold of the mindset that we are stewards, that absolutely everything I have is a gift from God and I must use it for him. It completely transforms our thinking. So stewardship, 
in verse 16, this famous cry from Paul, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. This is not a, a onerous imposition. You know, you've got to evangelize more. You've got to be more involved in mission. No, it's not this imposition. It's, I, I believe, seeing it in the context of this, it is a cry from his heart of this desire to be a good steward of everything that God has given him. Like I say, he's not promoting himself as an apostle. He's recognizing that this is what God has given me. Woe is me if I do not use what God has given me for his glory and for his purposes. It's a heart cry from deep within. May the Lord give each of us that heart cry as we look and suddenly start, just take a few minutes. Uh, years ago, we used to sing a song, and I haven't heard it for years. I won't try and sing it, because that's not my gift either. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings. I can't remember the name, but it's just, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Don't we live in a miserable culture that tells us not to do that? So we spend our times trying to gain more things rather than spending our time recognizing what God has given us and using it for his glory. So the first word I'd like to live is stewardship that will help us live. The second one is servanthood. Paul goes on in verse 19, again, this incredible statement, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. I think the NIV says slave, which I think grasps the, the, the tone of the word even better. In a culture that celebrates freedom, isn't it so true that if we understand our culture in the light of the gospel, the people who most boast about freedom are, are the biggest slaves on the planet? And yet Paul says, the gospel transforming my life gives me a different way of thinking. Though I am the freest of all, and Christians are truly the freest people on the planet. We have been freed from sin. We, we could just stop there and take that and just meditate on that for the next week. But we've been freed from death. The ultimate statistic that will affect every human being on the planet eternal death, and we've been freed from that. We are the freest of all people. So how does that make us live? It enables us to become servants to all. That's amazing. I hope you're not looking for an explanation, because that's beyond me. But Paul says this, and I think there's joy in his heart. There's no sense of, oh, it's a bird bot. He's rejoicing in the gospel, he's rejoicing in what God has given him. And he said, you know, I'm the freest of all. That's why I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. And Paul says in verse 22, to the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. And this famous statement, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. It is very clear from Paul's writings, he's not saying he saves people in the sense of giving salvation. Obviously not. But what he is saying is, is, I want to live in such a way 
that I become a channel of God's salvation to those around me and to the nations. But then he's saying, so that is what servanthood is. It is an act, deep act of love and service to our neighbors. So it applies to us locally in Brannockstein and to the nations. It applies to us as we think about how God would use us in the missionary endeavor of seeing the gospel reached out. Now, this is a hugely challenging passage of Scripture because when Paul says, you know, to the Jews I became as a Jew, he didn't become a Jew, he had been a Jew. And when he says, you know, I became as one under the law, um, I think also he's talking about the Jewish people who sought their salvation through fulfilling the law. And he says, I'm not under the law in that sense, but I will take the steps necessary to divest myself of, of me so that may be my personal or political interests. It may be my national identity. That's a controversial one in Ireland, particularly in the North. Are you this? Are you that? I don't want to be either. I want to be a Christ follower. And that must take priority over everything. I may need at times to be willing to forego economic benefits Maybe I'm offered a promotion. The world says, take it. You're stupid if you don't. God says, no, because I, I want you in this place still. There are people who need to hear the gospel. And so as we work out what this means for each of us, uh, may the Lord help us to give up what we may see as our freedom, our rights, our, our control, it is the outworking of what Paul would, in another place, write to the Philippians, and he says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was God, equal with God. He says, no, but I'm not going to hold on to that. And kind of... What does it say? but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. So as we wrestle with what this means and work it out in our lives, may we ask God to help us to have that mindset of Christ, willing to give up the glories of heaven, to come to a sinful earth, to die, but yes, be raised again, conquering sin and death. That was Christ's unique work in history. What is our work in history as his people? It is to follow in his footsteps and be willing to divest ourselves of whatever we need to, even our freedom, as an act of love and service to others so that they may, as Paul says right at the end, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So may the Lord help us to live in such a way, to live for the sake of the gospel. What does that mean? Well, two areas that will help us. Understanding stewardship of all that we have, which has been given by God. Understanding our role as servants to all around us that God has put in our paths. 
And may we live just to hear those precious, precious words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let's just pray a minute, and then I'll hand back to Rick. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for those who have gone before us. We think of the Apostle Paul, such a great man by your grace, and yet saying, I'm willing to give up whatever is needed so that others may hear the gospel of Christ. Lord, we live in such a messed up, sin-destroyed world. We see it in our neighbors as family strife is on the increase. We see it in our nations as nation rises against nation, each with a desire to enforce their own ways of doing things. Lord, help us to live differently as your people, to be good stewards of all that you have given us. And we recognize, Lord, everything we have comes from you. Help us to be servants to our neighbors, to those around us. Help us to be servant to our nation that needs to hear your word. Lord, help us to be servants to the nations like France, like Spain, and so many other places that yet need to hear. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.